Welcome to Icelandic Voices American Accent, a podcast funded by the Icelandic American Chamber of Commerce in cooperation with the Consulate General of Iceland in New York. My name is Helgi Steinar, and I will be talking to Icelanders who have settled all over the United States, allowing them to share firsthand their fascinating stories and experiences. We hope you will enjoy this insight into the very diverse Icelandic community within the United States of America. A very warm hello to all our listeners today. We have a very special and cultural episode today. Uh, you know, one of my favorite memories when visiting Russia a few years ago was the opportunity I got to go see Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake uh, that was being performed at the St. Petersburg Ballet. And uh, I think internationally, we often tend to forget just how significant ballet is to the global art scene. Uh, it's not only a dance form that requires unbelievable skill and discipline, uh, but the format itself is in fact timeless. Uh, while many different types of dances are often reserved only for specific time periods, ballet seems to have stayed with us throughout the centuries. Well, uh, joining us here to discuss this incredible art form is an absolute legend in his field, Helgi Tomason. He is regarded as one of the supreme classical dancers of his generation and up until recently was the artistic director at the San Francisco Ballet. Welcome, Helgi. Thank you. So how are you, uh, how are you, how are you getting on today? <laughs> I'm fine. And you? Very well, very good, very good. Did you have a have a good Fourth of July? Quiet, quiet. Enjoyed yeah. life up here in the Napa Valley and just quiet and relaxing and. Yeah, no, I mean that's a that's another way to do. It. I think after COVID, one of the ways we like to uh, enjoy ourselves is that we we don't always have to be doing something. It doesn't have to be planned. Sometimes we can just let loose and just uh, breathe a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, like I said, this is an absolute honor to have you here with us because, uh, well, you know, being a small country like Iceland, uh, we're always very proud when we see one of our own doing well on the international stage. Uh, but you have really taken that to the next level. Uh, you began studying ballet at the age of 15 in Copenhagen, and then two years later, you moved to New York where your career took off, first at the Joffrey Ballet in 1961, and then two years later at the Harkness Ballet. Uh, can you take us a little bit through that time period? Like, first of all, what brought you into ballet? And then and how your initial career developed? Well, I saw a ballet performance in, in uh, Iceland, the Vestmanaeum, Vestman Islands, when I was five years old. And my mother took me to see a performance of a three soloist from the Royal Danish Ballet that came to perform there. And uh, apparently, uh, according to her telling me later, that uh, I seemed to be fascinated by that. And every time I heard classical music on the radio, I tried to imitate what I had seen on stage the jumping and the turning and whatever. So um, she enrolled me finally in the ballet school in Reykjavik. We had moved to Reykjavik. Um, I was about nine years old, I think, in a local ballet school there. With, her name was Seru Arman, the Saves Hofs. And uh, I was there for a year. And then in the meantime, they had built the, the National Theater in Reykjavik, and they had engaged a Danish couple to start the ballet school at the Royal, at the National Theater. And so uh, they, my teacher suggested to my mother I should be enrolled uh, there because they could teach me a lot more than they could. And uh, through that, uh, th that couple, Danish couple, uh, took me to Copenhagen when I was 15 years old. Uh, I started studying with them in the winter in Iceland uh, when I was 10. So every winter I was in, in ballet school, and every summer I was uh, 
typical Icelandic boy, you know, I worked on the farm in the summer and no ballet classes. So, then um, I finally, uh, it took me to Denmark when I was 15 and I danced at the Pantomime Theatre in Copenhagen. I happened to meet with uh, Jerome Robbins in uh, Iceland in the fall of um, 59. And he was there with his uh, Ballet USA and I auditioned for him. The idea may be becoming an apprentice or something, but uh, this was not a permanent company. So he said he would keep me in mind. And I thought, that's, you know, sure. <laughs> uh, but sure, sure enough, I got a letter from him two months later. I was working in Denmark at the Pantomime Theater saying that there was a scholarship waiting for me in New York at the School of American Ballet and uh, free tuition. So um, I went there in uh, the fall of 1960 and enrolled. I was there in the school from uh, end of September till mid-April. I had hoped that that time I could... Uh, be uh, engaged to be in the New York City Ballet because that was their official school. But that was not to be. There was no room and there was no nothing available. So I went back to uh, to Copenhagen and danced there another season. And then went went back in to the States trying to get a job. And uh, my first job was with the new, uh, with the Joffrey Ballet. And uh, it started... Uh, 10-week one-night stand tour in the United States, and I did three of those, which is tough because you travel every day and dance at night and travel for 10 weeks like that, all the United States, uh, which was very educational and uh, got to know a lot of other dancers. And so I, I appreciate that, uh, how it started. It was very good for me. Wow. So, I mean, you said you were dancing uh, as you were touring every single day uh, and there was performances every night. I mean, I yeah. just first thing that came to mind is, I mean, what happens with injuries? And uh, I mean, this is I mean, ballet is obviously a very stressful uh, um, uh, art form on, on the body. I mean, what did, what did you uh, do to uh, sort of alleviate some of the pain? Well, and stress that... well, I was lucky that I didn't get injured, maybe because I was young and, and strong. But uh, if you didn't feel well or you were got a bad cold or something you had to dance because there was no covers and uh, you know this was uh, we traveled as much as on the average about 250 300 miles a day in a bus wow and then we got to the place we were supposed to dance get in the theater warm up get ready perform <clears throat> try to find a place to eat after that and next morning at eight o'clock back on the bus another 200 300 miles so, and so this, so this is during the 60s. I mean, you know, you yeah. so, so you just find some diners on the on the on, on the yeah. on the on the route 66 <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of Chinese restaurants that open at night. Oh right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Wow, that that's an, that's impressive. I mean, the uh, I, I gotta say, one of the most impressive things I actually did read about you was because um, uh, I mentioned earlier in in Russia, uh, you were at the 1969 international ballet competition in Moscow, uh, where you took second place behind. And this is amazing. The one and only Mikhail Baryshnikov. And yes. to those listeners, uh, even if you're not a ballet fan or if you're not into the art of ballet, uh, you must have heard that name at least once. I mean, the man's name is pretty much synonymous with ballet. I mean, that must have been a very exciting accomplishment for you. It was. And it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was in Harkness Ballet at that time. And it was Mrs. Harkness that um, 
suggested that I should go to Russia just to participate and, and get to see other dancers from all over the world and, and just enjoy it. You know, no, no expectations of any, any kind for anything. And um, that's, uh, it was exciting, but it was difficult. I traveled with my wife. The two of us had to oversee everything, the staging and uh, when to start the video, I mean, audio tape when I had to dance. Most other participants had brought their own coaches and, and people to do all those things that need to be done for the stage for you to dance. But we were two of us there. And, uh, and I think <laughs> uh, when I arrived in Moscow, uh, I had to give uh, to some official sitting at a desk there um, what repertory I was dancing. And what I, when I suggested what I was dancing, there were ballets that they didn't know. It wasn't Swan Lake, it wasn't Don Quixote, it wasn't Giselle. And um, it was obviously by this gentleman who sat there that I did not have to worry about making it to the last stage with those kind of <laughs> ballets that, you know, forget it. And I think uh, it was that sort of that Icelandic perseverance that got to me and said, no, no, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to show them what I'm made of and uh, and luckily i came out with a silver medal that's amazing so they were basically saying that if you're not going to dance these you know the, well known, the, the ones yeah. that the well-known the ones that everybody knows then uh then then you're not going to be is it just was it the politics of it all the time i mean you know not just saying soviet union style but just you know this we like um we like our performances to be notified in advance we, we like to know what we're anticipating I think it was just a little bit of both. It was mostly that uh, it was politics, mm. part of it. Well, you know, that, uh, well, yeah. Well, what was uh, the, sorry. Yeah. There, there were. Uh, I can't remember. It was close to twenty judges, and uh, many of them were from the West, uh, from, uh, major companies in Royal Ballet, Paris Opera, mm. uh, Royal Danish Ballet, and all that. But the majority of the judges were either Russians or East European. So uh, I think it looked a little <laughs> unbalanced in a sense that, you know, it wasn't. But yet um, one of the Russian judges, a famous, very famous ballerina in, in Moscow, uh, world famous, came to me after the, the judging had been done and I had gotten my silver medal and, and told me, she said, I just want you to know I gave you all my points when you danced. Oh. So, uh, you know, this was really a huge compliment. And um, so it wasn't all politics. Well, it was, uh, I mean, obviously a bridge building uh, exercise, if you can say. I mean, this is, you know, height of the Cold War. And, um, you know, you, you think to yourself that this, um, uh, did, did you view yourself at the time? I mean, maybe you were, weren't too concerned about, you know, the politics of the time. But, um, you know, we think about these uh, uh, sporting events, you know, the, 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 uh, the you know, Boris Baski, the, um, you know, the, the, these pivotal moments through history where we have just focused solely on the art form or solely on the sporting event. And it's been sort of a breathing moment uh, to sort of forget all the background noise and just focus on what brings us together. I mean, was, was that competition sort of in the spirit of that? I think it was meant to be. Uh, <clears throat> to the Russians, it, this was going to be the Olympics of, of dance. You know, event, and uh, I think 
so in fairness, I think it, it really it was that. Uh, of course, the, the uh, I'm going to say, at that time, it was the Cold War, um, Russian choreographers were not allowed, what I understand, to go abroad to see what the Western choreographers in the West were choreographing. So what I brought there, all those things that were different from that, whatever they've seen, they were choreographer Balanchine, Robbins, um, a few others that they just didn't know. And I became aware of every time I danced, they filmed me. And it was like they filmed me because they could then show to their own choreographers in the Soviet Union what was taking place in the West choreographically. So you became sort of de facto ambassador of Western ballet to the Soviet Union. In a way, yes, I think it was. Yeah. That must have been a you know huge honor, not just the silver medal, but also the idea that you know you know this this young kid from the Westman Islands who saw ballet, you know, at the age of five and then is on the stage, um, um, literally, you know, pioneering, you know, uh, the choreography to to people who have never seen it before or are not allowed to, to witness it uh, yeah. in, any other, in any other manner. I must tell you that uh, when I was with Joffrey Ballet, <clears throat> we had traveled to Russia in <clears throat> 1963. And... Uh, performed a repertory that was not known to the, to the Russian public. And I remember how much they appreciated it and, and, and loved it to see something different and innovative. So that was one of the reasons I chose those, those solos that I was supposed to be, that five solos, mm. that they would, uh, how can I say, show what was taking place in... Uh, in the in the United States at that time. So um, anyway, that's so I, I was aware of what was going on there. All right. Well, I mean, but that's great. I mean, the um, you know, one year after landing that silver ballet, uh, you were or silver medal at the ballet. You went to the New York City Ballet uh, as a principal dancer uh, before you joined the San Francisco Ballet 15 years later. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the New York ballet scene? I mean, are there any <clears throat> are there any differences between East Coast, West Coast or uh, in approaches to teaching or, or musicality or anything well, like that? Alan Sheen was uh, a, a genius choreographer. There's no question about that. And so was Robbins, who was associated with the company. So I was working with the two foremost choreographers in this country at that time. And uh, it was uh, an incredible wealth of uh, innovative choreography that came out of New York City Ballet that time I was there, from 62 to 85. Um, so I think everybody else looked, every other company, every other company in, in the United States, even in the, in the world, looked to New York City Ballet to see what were they doing. And they seemed to be in the forefront of bringing ballet to the sort of contemporary look, not only just sort of older established ballets. So uh, it was an incredible time to be there. Mm. And as for um, the East, the West Coast was different. There was like San Francisco Ballet when I took over in '85. It was a good uh, regional company. Uh, it was not on an international standard or, or level, 
which I have brought it up to. Um, so that's that's how it was in the United States at that time. In the 60s, it was basically New York, and that was it. Mm. There were companies other places. There was one in Chicago, but you know, not on that level. Um, Houston, Dallas, but none of the, none of the other companies were anywhere near what New York City Ballet was at that time. So was New York City pretty much exporting ballet to the other cities around the states, or were the other yes. cities like looking towards New York, saying we need this as well? Well, Balanchine was very, very generous to let other companies perform his his ballets all around the country and in Europe. So slowly, that his innovative style and the way of dancing, the speed, the musicality, mm -hmm. influenced all the other companies in some way or another. All right, that's great. I mean, so when reading about the San Francisco Ballet, uh, you are credited with being instrumental by making the school one of the you know finest ballet companies in the world. Um, I'm just was curious, what specifically does it make a ballet company so successful? Is is it the musicality, the coordination, or just the love of dancing? <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. Mm. Um, uh, of course, you have to have the dancers at a very high technical level to be able to accomplish. Uh, those difficult ballets, even some of the Swan Lake or Giselle. And you have to be able to be performing them at a level that is on top, like any other major company being in the Royal Ballet or New York City Ballet or Paris Opera or Bolshoi. So that's one thing. And to do that, you have to have a lot of discipline and install that in the dancer. Uh, and at the same time, create a feeling of, of love of the art form, love of dance, the joy, the enjoyment you can bring to the public through this incredible art form that is so beautiful to watch and takes years to master for a dancer. Uh, it's it's a little bit of everything, and uh, I think I think that um, in my case. People very often commented to me when I was performing, when we were performing other places outside of San Francisco, being it Washington, D.C. Or, or Copenhagen or London, that they said the dancers have such joy, they're dancing. And, and the musicality was exquisite. Um, the, the speed of, of dancing and the articulation. So I think it's, it's all, all those things are combined with creating a wonderful company. Mm. So, I mean, I, I always had this image in my head of, of, you know, dance instructors at ballet schools being like drill sergeants, because obviously this, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 to, to master something as, um, you know, you, like I said, you need the discipline, you need uh, real coordination, you need teamwork and effort. Um, but I, I guess the whole idea of, uh, like you're saying that this starts from a young age, you know, it's not something people decide in their late thirties, Hey, I'm going to be a ballet dancer. You need, you know, this from a young, young age. And, um, I mean, do people, I mean, is it something that sticks with people throughout their entire lives? I mean, have you seen people sort of burn out and say like, you know what, this isn't for me. I, you know, that this is, or, or is this just something that ingrains into you? No, I think like with any profession, there can be burnout in any profession. But I think with dance, you start so young, usually uh, seven, eight, nine years old, 
and you learn that discipline you learn that discipline from a very early age and you also realize that that's what it needs to be able to achieve great things mm. so and and there are dancers that along the way say no this is not for me or i'm not going to make it to the top so i'm going to do something else that's just normal but i think in in overall dancers are known for their discipline and what i'm really very proud of that we had we had a program with the with san francisco ballet where dancers could take their college degree alongside dancing instead of taking four years it would take them six years and so when they finished dancing they could use that and and do something else and i can tell you honestly uh there are several of them who become attorneys some have become one of two of them have become doctors mm. uh, actually the doctor who treats the company was a former dancer american dancer but he danced in europe and uh, put himself through medical school and is now the main doctor for the san francisco ballet <laughs> wow so uh, you know <clears throat> there is nothing to say and right now this this fall this spring i'm sorry this spring there were four dancers in in the company san francisco ballet that told me that they have been accepted two to stanford one two to harvard and one was somewhere if it was somewhere else i can't remember where it but they had taken the deferment but they will use that in a year or two or whatever so they are sought after as students they're sought after as employees uh because of that discipline and maturity that they seem to have that's sort of the same uh selling point that the military usually gives for people who do ROTC they'll say you know the, the, these skills that you learn here are something that can help you out throughout your entire life and that yeah. clearly clearly that does show with the, the professions yeah. you just mentioned absolutely <laughs> So um, I mentioned earlier, like my love, personal love of Swan Lake. Uh, before then, you know, I, I really, I don't re- recall my parents ever taking me to the ballet. But um, uh, I remember when I was in Russia, I thought to myself, you know, there's ballet and then there's Russian ballet, and I really wanted to. Uh, everyone had told me that 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 is something I need to take time to uh, to do. Um, uh, so so at the St. Petersburg Ballet, I did go see Swan Lake, and it was such an amazing. First of all, the the three hours that a normal ballet goes through just fly by as soon as you get locked into the performance the dancing uh the music everything um are there any ballets that you or performances that you have uh you would consider a favorite <laughs> that's hard um i have created my own version of small lake as we dance we just finished our season with and has i created that in 93 i think it was no wait in 80 88 and we are still performing it mm. very very popular um you know it's the same story but slightly different choreography um i did, have done romeo and juliet which is one of my favorites um that sucel nutcracker is still being performed every christmas season here which is mine um so uh, many many smaller shorter ballets it's hard to say which is favorite <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's uh, 
it seems to be sort of the the last ballet you choreograph sometimes. Uh. So but it's uh, I, I don't know. I, I always thought this um, uh, when I went to go see the ballet in, in Russia, I, I brought my suit and tie just for that one purpose of going to see the ballet because I had this idea that the ballet had this, you know, je ne sais quoi of, uh, of, of class and style. And, you know, you, 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 you put on your suit and you, you go get your champagne and then you go see the ballet. And uh, it seemed like. When I got there, the, it, there were, you know, buses of tourists from United States and, and China that were driven there. People just showed up in sandals and socks. And uh, it was uh, I, I don't know. I mean, is um, is there sort of this idea within the ballet community that, that this should be the classical sort of, um, you know, you, you think of the opera, you think of something classical. You should at least, um, uh, you know, be, be well dressed for this. Or, or I mean, is, is is it becoming more and more of a spectacle for just the general public? Or where I, I, you... I think what you're describing is rather sort of European way of looking at it. Mm. You, know, you know, you dress up for certain occasions. Uh, the American way today is, is not like that. It's casual, as you can, I'm sure you understand. Mm. And we don't want to be viewed as being very elitist or, uh -huh. you know, art form. It should reach everybody. And, you know, I can say that from my own experience. My mother took me there when I was five years old. Uh, we lived in Westman Islands. Uh, we did not have very much money. Uh, I would surely put it maybe middle class obviously nothing more than that if that so you know for me it doesn't make any difference <clears throat> i like people to come to, to view the art form and enjoy it for what it is um if you want to come in your jeans and the the polo shirts and and, and you get the enjoyment of what you have to, what you see that's fine you don't have to put in a certain tie for me no that's a that, that's a good point. I mean, that's uh, I, I guess that you know when you think of, of forms like ballet or or the classical or, or uh, you know philharmonic or whatever it is, there might be this element of people getting a little afraid of thinking, well, you know, this isn't for me because I I just uh, you know I, I don't think this fits in with my class. But but uh, no, that's um, I, I think you're right to say that 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 is a. Uh, uh, it should be for everyone. It should be viewed and enjoyed by the entire the entire world. And I think it, it proves the point that I have known a lot of dancers in my career, lots and lots. And I can honestly say, speaking to them over the years, that I I can't think of anyone that made it to the top as a as a principal dancer came from a very wealthy family. It most, by far the majority was middle class, but they were exposed to it at, at that level, usually by the parents. So to me, it is extremely important that, that parents take their children and expose them to the art form, not only ballet, but music, theater, whatever there is around that they can so, um, you know, uh, it's interesting that it's, uh, and I, I can understand why people sometimes get almost intimidated by the, the big opera house, being the Metropolitan New York or, or the opera house in San Francisco or the Paris Opera, that sort of, which is not a bad idea that feels like, what, but is there respect for that? 
that they want to sort of look presentable and they, they dress up a little bit. I have no problem with that, but I still want it to be open to all. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, is there, uh, do, you, do you notice any differences between the ballet scenes? I was, we we're talking East Coast, West Coast, but what about Iceland versus the U.S.? Is there any, you've obviously seen both scenes. Um, anything that stands out? No, I think, unless I said to you before, uh, it's sort of the European way of thinking that you have to sort of dress up a little bit. You're going mm -hmm. to Harpa, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, the, the man puts on the shirt and tie and, uh, and she puts on a very, very beautiful dress or something like that, which is nice because it shows us respect for the art form. But at the same time, it, which I saw a lot in, in Iceland, you know, more maybe than I do here in, in San Francisco. But um, I just feel that art should be open to everyone. Mm -hmm. What about with the, the, the studios and the companies? Um, uh, do they take different approaches on teaching and musicality and choreography here in Iceland as opposed to the, the States? Yes, yes. It just, you know, I, I was very lucky. I was 15 years in New York City Ballet, trained under Balanchine and Robbins. Uh, Balanchine was such a musician that he made you aware of the music and the way he choreographed his ballets to a certain score, being a Tchaikovsky or... or, or Stravinsky, you had to listen to the music, you had to get to know the music and use the, the phrasing that he choreographed in. And that's something that has stayed with me and it means a lot to me when I've choreographed that, that respect for music and, and how, how you put the steps to the music, how you phrase it. Mm. And that's what that balancing was absolutely unique with that. And I see sometimes uh, smaller companies that have acquired their, his ballets to perform. Um, what seems to be lacking is that articulation and and the speed that he liked to dance in and the musical phrasing. Mm -hmm. And that's because maybe they don't have anybody in the company that was in, let's say, New York City Ballet and knew what he wanted. It's, I'm just very happy to be there for those many years and, and see him work in what he wanted. I learned so much from that. Yeah, that's interesting. Do, do, do you feel, you know, after all these years in the States, uh, where would you say your home is now? I mean, do you feel more at home in the States or in San Francisco or, or you know, do you, do you still sort of have one foot in Iceland? Uh, <laughs> it's interesting you should ask me that because <clears throat> when I refer to Iceland, I tend to refer to it as home. If at home, no. Um, but as having been away now for more than sixty years, um, especially now since my my mother and dad have, have passed away, I used to go there much more often when my mother was alive. She passed away in eighty, mm. and when I was living in New York, it was much easier to go from New York to Iceland than from San Francisco to Iceland. Uh, it still is. I still believe that Iceland growing up there shaped me to who I am. You know, the, the battle we have growing up there with the, with the weather, the darkness. Um, and also I was put on a farm to work from an age of uh, nine 
10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old every summer. I learned, I learned work ethics. And, and I just feel that Iceland in its own way shaped me so much who I am, who I became as a, as a man. But having lived in the United States now for 50, over 50 years, 60 years almost, um, this feels home. You know, like this feels where I am. I decide. I'm sorry if you hear. This is the vineyards being attended where into here in Napa Valley. There is always something going on. Oh, no worries. We've been hearing a lot of birds chirping, and I think that that, that definitely does add a, a nice uh, effect to the to the podcast. Yeah. Um, but so what I'm saying is, you know, having lived now 37 years directing the San Francisco Ballet, that has become the home to my wife and I, and also uh, my younger son grew up here. My older son went to college when we moved to San Francisco. So he never lived here, but my younger one did. So this is where we have become, we have made a home. And, uh, you know, you, you think about, uh, you know, you've retired now, you've uh, sort of, you're enjoying enjoying uh, the, the beautiful uh, scenery there. I'm seeing there in the background with the birds chirping and everything, but you obviously still do have, you know, the mentality for dance. And you look at the next generation of dancers, you mean that you've spent all these years training and helping people and guiding them. Um, you know, what, what is something you would tell, you know, the up and coming dancers who are interested in becoming uh, the next Barishnikov or, or the next Helki Tomasson? Well, first of all, it takes so much effort, and you have to start quite young. And um, there is fierce competition uh, in in the, in the field. But if you really love it, and then just stay with it, you know, do whatever you can, um, accept it what what it is. Uh, you're going to find that there's someone always a little bit better than you are, and there's going to be someone who's not quite as good as you are. If you can accept that and, and just be yourself and, and present who you are and what you have to offer, um, it's a it's a wonderful life. I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, well, it makes me want to feel like I should have picked a different career. Um, <laughs> wise words from the dancer himself, Helki Thomason. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, I wish you all the best and uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, of your day there uh, out in Napa. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Thank Likewise. You. Thank you so much. Yeah.